Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preacher's contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, and welcome back to Godsplaining. I should say Merry Christmas and welcome back to Godsplaining for this special Lexio Divina episode to commemorate the Nativity of Our Lord. I'm joined here, per usual, by Father Jacob Bertrand and Father Patrick. And I thought, actually, I didn't think about this. They thought about this before the episode started, and now I'll take credit for it while also giving them credit for it. I thought we could kick it off with maybe favorite Christmas traditions, Christmas traditions before we the enter order, during our entry to the order, after having entered the order. Wow, there's some complex verbal phrases right there. Father Jacob Bertrand, favorite Christmas traditions? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I love Christmas. Christmas is great. Uh, what, what favorite? Here's one. Uh, so Christmas Eve was always, we always had Christmas Eve was like the big celebration in my family and my aunt on my father's side always hosted. Um, so German Polish side of the family and my grandmother, uh, who immigrated to the States in the late fifties, super German, you know, doesn't, didn't give a rip about things. It was really awesome. She, there was eggnog always because it's Christmas and she would, uh, the, the, the bowl, the punch bowl of eggnog would not be spiked because there were a lot of us little kids around, but my grandmother would spike our glasses for us instead of the bowl. So we still got spiked eggnog on Christmas from our, from my grandmother who would walk around with a little bottle of rum and pour some in. So it was great Christmas. Awesome. That's awesome. It's a good yep. woman right there. Mm -hmm. Father Patrick, undoubtedly, many Briscoe family traditions. Uh, well, this one comes from my home parish from St. Charles Borromeo, and it's schmaltzy and really touching. Um, every year at the first uh, Christmas Mass, the early Vigil Mass, growing up as a kid, uh, Monsignor Hessian, who was the retired uh, founder of our parish, actually, he was the first pastor of our parish, which is really saying something about the St. Charles community that it was so stable that there were two pastors there over the course of like 60 years. It's an incredible thing. Anyway, Monsignor Hessian would sing the birthday of a king, which is this lovely old carol um, before the mass. And so he had a very nice, uh, he had a very nice voice. And um, I remember his voice and the words of that song every Christmas Eve. Boom. All right, Christmas tradition from the Pine family. This actually bridges before, during, and after. Um, uh, backstory, my mother, God rest her, was an unstoppable force of unstoppableness. And um, growing up for St. Nicholas Day, we would do uh, stockings because why not spread out the Christmas fun. And um, my mom was very concerned when I entered the order that I would lack for or need for December 6th affirmation and gifts. So she would pack up my stocking and send it to one of the brothers who would then be instructed to hang it on my door in the cloister, <laughs> which was incredible. I was like, how did my mom get into the cloister? She's so devious. Um, so after a few years, I was like, ma, I love you. And I'm not saying that I'm embarrassed by you, but I am somewhat embarrassed by being the only person in this entire community of 75 people who gets a stocking on December 6th. So maybe we could, well, she, she, I got a stocking too. Don't worry. It wasn't hung on the door. Oh, nice. Yeah. I also get an Easter basket. That's I'm a 34 year old man. I still get an Easter basket and a Valentine thing for my mom. Um, 
Valentine's Day. That that last one's a little lost on me, seeing as I'm like a celibate. So like celebrating <laughs> Valentine's Day. <laughs> Whatever. Mary Bear also sends me all of those things. Yeah. Plus St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> nice. Nice. Like Do you guys get Father's Day things Guinness. from your family? <laughs> no, I told them if oh. they ever. <laughs> wow, that's a trump card. <laughs> no. Do you? Yeah. Okay. I did. I'm blessed. Again. God bless her. Mm. Merry awesome. Christmas. All right, here we go. Let's go. Let's uh, let's let's uh, let's begin our meditation on this uh, Saturday's readings uh, with the opening prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who have made this most sacred night radiant with the splendor of the true light, grant we pray that we who have known the mysteries of His light on earth may also delight in His gladness in heaven who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. All right. Father Patrick, lead us into our first reading. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who dwelt in the land of gloom, a light has shone. You have brought them abundant joy and great rejoicing, as they rejoice before you as at the harvest, as people make merry when dividing spoils. For the yoke that burdened them, the pull on their shoulder, the rod of their taskmaster you have smashed, as on the day of Midian. For every boot that tramped in battle, every cloak rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for flames. For a child is born to us, a son is given us. Upon his shoulder dominion rests. They shall name him Wonder Counselor, God Hero, Father Forever, Prince of Peace. His dominion is vast and forever peaceful from David's throne and over his kingdom, which he confirms and sustains by judgment and justice, both now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this reading, and in fact, in the opening collect, I am struck by how frequently mention is made of light. So you heard in the, in the opening colic, two, three mentions of light. And then in the first couple verses of this reading, two, three mentions of light. And I, I guess I'm struck by it in part because in the background, I've been reading recently about St. Thomas Aquinas has to say about light, which is some seriously outdated Aristotelian metaphysics or physics. Um, but in St. Thomas's understanding, light basically lights up a thing. So he doesn't think about it as a wave. He doesn't think about it as a particle. He just thinks about it as a kind of metaphysical switch which makes the stuff in between you and the object you see translucent, <laughs> which is, well, it's not, it's not too wild, but it's kind of wild. All right. Why do I mention this? Well, because Christ is likened to light. And I think that maybe, maybe thinking about this uh, antiquated example is somewhat helpful for appreciating what that means to think about Christ as making possible for us the real or the true or um, that kind of unbiased appreciation of or view of all that is. Because I think that a lot of people in the modern world want to say that you need to be impartial, you need to like get rid of first principles or fundamental commitments if you're going to approach a situation in a way that's fair or just. That was the whole enlightenment idea as to how we can, I don't know, talk through our differences. But I think that we are, uh, we're probably all convinced at this point that that enlightenment idea was, was ill-founded because it's, it's just not possible to approach a problem from nowhere. You have to approach it from where you are. And if we are in Christ, then we have the best lens through which to see reality. 
because, and here I think of Gaudium et Spes 22, which St. John Paul II quoted often, um, Christ in the revelation of the Father reveals man to man himself. So Christ gives us purchase on reality because he gives us purchase on God and all things in God. So whatever we are and whatever we seek to become is only being on loan from God. And because God in his generosity makes us to be and makes us to, to become, right? We can know in him who we are and then what reality is. So why on Christmas would this be a pertinent thought? Well, because a light has truly dawned on us. It's dawned in Christ in the revelation of the person uh, of Jesus Christ who took to himself human flesh, but also in that that light has, has shown us all things which it illumines, all things which it makes visible to us, to which it gives us access. And now we have the hope to be able to have a real conversation with another person, even though we might not see eye to eye, or we have the hope not to be kind of like dominated by technology because like, I can't resist looking at my phone 17,000 times a day because Christ has made it possible for us to acknowledge what is and what is not and what's in between. Um, so for me, this is a source yeah, of great, of great hope insofar as in Christ, we have the key that unlocks our approach to and our appreciation of reality. The, the play or the use of this, of this light imagery is also particularly, um, I don't know, uh, poignant as as the the readings that we're looking at are from the mass during the night or or the midnight mass. Um, so they anticipate the dawn because um, there's a mass that for Christmas there's really four different sets of prayers and readings that could be of the vigil mass, you have the mass at night, you have the mass at dawn, and then the mass during the day. And all the readings and the prayers kind of correspond to to the time of day and and the dawning of Christmas Day. But the, the this passage from the prophet Isaiah at night, which you would only hear in the dark, anticipating the dawn of Christmas morning is, is really has this striking, as Father Gregory was explaining, this striking reality to it. And another thing that the, that this, that the light brings to bear um, is, is meaning not only to the world and to our relationships, but to our, it gives meaning to who we are, that it's only in the light of Christ that we begin to understand, as Father Gregory also pointed out, the, the comment or the, the phrase from but it's only in the light of Christ do we begin to do our own lives and our own existence begin to take shape and have meaning and um, yeah, really kind of like have value. Um, we can try to attribute value to our own existence and our own purposes and our own lives, but ultimately that that comes from 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 our Lord and it's in the light of the Lord that we that we can begin to appreciate and see that. And I think one of the ways that Isaiah brings this to bear in the reading is when he talks about the Lord's dominion and he describes it as vast and forever peaceful. There's so much sort of distraction and chaos in the world that even trying to understand ourselves becomes like an existential crisis. But it's in the light of Christ that we find this sort of divine stability, this reality that holds, that endures forever. And that, uh, you know, therefore allows us to exist and endure with the Lord and, and be conformed to him and, and live in the invitation that he offers us to share in his, to share in his life, to share in, his, in, the, in the light of Christ. There are some, um, some things that uh, once set to music, you can't hear read. Uh, you just hear the music for them. Uh, so this is the case with, for example, the hymn Eagle's Wings. You know, you can't read you can't read that section of scripture without hearing eagle's wings. Um, and some people like that, and that's fine, I guess. Um, but for me, that that I find that one a little bit more haunting, bad sense of haunting. Um, but this this is one of those moments where I hear 
where I hear the words from Isaiah, and I can't, I can't just hear them said. I only hear them as if they were being sung in the Messiah, which admittedly causes a little bit of a problem because that is the text of the King James Version and the New American Bible, which views in our liturgy is a little bit different and frankly, slightly less beautiful than the King's English. Um, anyway, all of that's to say that I, I just marvel at that piece of music um, for a couple reasons. One is that it was written in like three weeks, some scholars estimate, like 24 days. And that would, that would mean that Handel was writing about 15 notes a minute if he were working 10-hour days because of the millions of notes that he wrote in the score. I, I mean, so that's a really incredible thing. He said he was just so inspired to do it. Uh, so the work itself, how how it was written is incredible. And then the the sense that it gives you when you're listening to it is incredible because the music conveys the grandeur of God that the words are saying, that this this child, this Messiah is the wonder counselor, the God hero, the father forever, the prince of peace. This, this is the one for whom we have been waiting. This is the one whom we long to worship. Uh, this, this is the one that, that will put our hearts uh, wearied and broken as they are at rest. The music gives you that sense. If you're unfamiliar with the Messiah this Christmas, do yourself a favor and lock yourself in a room and listen to the Messiah instead of fighting with your aunt over politics at the dinner table. You'll have a much better, <laughs> much better Christmas. But uh, the, the sense, uh, the might, the power, the grandeur of God is conveyed uh, both by the words of the sacred page uh, and in particular by the music of the Messiah in this, in this moment. Boom. All right. With that, we're going to pass on to the second reading, which is from uh, the letter of St. Paul to Titus. Beloved, the grace of God has appeared, saving all and training us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live temperately, justly, and devoutly in this age as we await the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to deliver us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people as his own, eager to do what is good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We can see in this letter, uh, letter of St. Paul, uh, that there's an immediate consequence to the incarnation um, there that when our Lord becomes man and becomes man so as to reestablish the relationship with us that was lost due to sin, that there are there's an immediate sort of way by which that uh, calls us to live or requires us to live, you know, virtuously uh, to live in that right relationship with our with our Lord. And in thinking about that. Um, we can we can see how you know we talk about Christ who is the fullness of virtues, but we can also look at Christ uh, in a in a similar lens or through a similar lens as sort of incarnate virtue. In a way, we could say that holiness until the incarnation was was hidden, was was harder to see. But part of part of the part of the reason for the incarnation for Christ becoming man is to make God more readily accessible so that we could see him so that we could be with him not just in spirit but in, in body and soul so holiness that had been sort of out of sight or, or far removed now becomes all the more concrete and all the more real at christmas because god is now with us and he 
lives a human life so as to lead us in a human life, but towards holiness, towards right living, towards right relationship with God, Christ shows us, even as an infant, even as an infant, how to live rightly. The beautiful thing here, too, is that it's not just a sort of command kind of thing. Well, if you want to be with me, you have to behave this way. But there's also a real attraction to that living because we're made for it. Uh, the 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 passage from this letter to Titus ends with um, this this short phrase that we're eager to do what is good. Beauty is attractive. Goodness is attractive. We're made for it. We want it. And when we see Christ, you know, our hearts long for that. Our hearts long to be part of it. Um, so there's a, uh, I think here what St. Paul is explaining to us is that here, you know, here's the Lord and here's how we live with him. And not only is this a commandment, but something that our hearts long for. So to pursue it and to chase it and to, and to cling to it. I, I, I want to emphasize that aspect that Father Jacob is, uh, has brought up to us that um, the presence of God means that there's a change in how we live and that it has a real impact on our lives. Um, that to be converted, um, to live for Christ, means that life looks different because of that. I was thinking of this recently because um, of the anniversary of Dorothy's Dorothy Day's death, which was at the end of November. And Dorothy Day was someone who, in a really a radical way, embraced everything that the church teaches. Um, in a, and threw herself at the feet of Christ um, in this way. And Dorothy had a great love for the liturgy. She was a Benedictine oblate, and she prayed the liturgy of the hours every day, so that kind of recitation of the Psalms. But then in her life, um, she she practiced justice, um, you know, towards other people in the hospitality in her Catholic worker houses, the hospitality that was offered to anyone who was in need. In a in a truly remarkable way, and so you look you look at a person like Dorothy Day, and you say like, wow, okay, that that person is a Christian. That is a person whose life looks different because of their love for Christ. Um, that's something that all of us should desire. And as we celebrate Christmas, Christ present with us, it's an opportunity for us to say, okay, how is my how is my life different because of the presence of Christ? So, um, in reading this reading, I'm struck by a lot of the language which suggests a kind of movement or suggests a kind of motion. So the grace of God has appeared, uh, training us to reject, to live uh, as we await um, who delivers us, cleanses us, eager to do what is. Um, and I guess the reason for which I'm struck by those particular phrases is because it's talking about the dawning of grace in our lives. Um, oh man, I'm such a broken record. Uh, when when St. Thomas Aquinas talks about grace, he describes it as both a form and emotion, right? So, so we often think about it as a form in the sense that we think about grace as a stable state, right? Maybe in our kind of earthbound analogy, we think about it as like a kind of point system. You know, you rack up points depending on how many good things that you do, and then you have so much strength in the spiritual life based on how many points you have accumulated. Okay, well, we can purify that image at a later date. As for now, we're gonna talk about motion because St. Thomas talks about it as a kind of impetus as a kind of instinct, as a kind of divine breath, as a kind of movement. And there's this sense that you can't be neutral to a thing that's kind of pushing you. I don't know if I'm, I'm thinking of this uh, classmate in seventh grade who whenever I would walk next to her, she would gradually edge me into the lockers, which I was like, why are you doing this to me? I wish 
anything but this were happening right now. But it was it was evident that when you were walking alongside this particular individual that 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 something was coming for you. And if you weren't alert, you were going to start hitting the locking mechanisms and it was going to cause you great discomfort. Um, but in a not displeasant, but in a wildly wonderful way, the grace of God is like that. It comes for you. There's a sense in which we don't remain passive to it, neutral to it, like grace is over here and sometimes I check in with it, or if it befits my state, or if this is the appropriate time in my life, I might. No, 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 no. It's coming for you. Um, there's a 20th century Dominican, Father Reginald Gary Goulagrange, who says that in every moment of every day, God is offering to even the most hardened of sinners at least the grace sufficient to pray. Now, mind you, that's not the grace of justification, but it's something. And if that grace is consented to and cooperated with, it's often the case that there are further graces that come in its wake, and those graces will lead to justification. So again, when the Lord comes at Christmas, he comes with a decided purpose. He comes to send the Holy Spirit, who is the very grace poured into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So it's not something to which we can remain neutral. It's not something from which we can stand aloof. It's something that comes in pursuit. And uh, so it's, it's, again, we don't, we don't have to invent it. We don't have to make it up. We just have to we just have to welcome it into our lives as we welcome this newborn child. All right. And with that, we're going to pass on to our reading and comment on the gospel. Father Jacob Bertrand. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to the whole world that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quinerius was governor of Syria. So when all went out to be enrolled, each to his own town. And Joseph, too, went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David that is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were shepherds in that region living in the fields and keeping the night watch over their flock. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were struck with great fear. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the city of David a Savior has been born for you, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In this Mass, we get the shepherds, um, which, you know, all the readings, as we've been saying, for the Christmas Masses are different. And here in this Mass, we have, uh, we have a, a focus on the arrival of the shepherds. Father Gregory, your boy Chesterton writes this, about shepherds. Pan was dead, and the shepherds were scattered like sheep. And though no man knew it, the hour was near, which was to end and to fulfill all things. And though no man heard it, there was one far-off cry in an unknown tongue upon the heaving wilderness and the mountains. The shepherds had found their shepherd. The shepherds are such great figures because uh, we, we might be tempted to romanticize them, but uh, there's nothing romantic about being a shepherd. It's really rather disgusting, and they were kind of uh, shady cast-offs on the outskirts of society. But they do represent 
they do represent a kind of common man, a kind of every man. Um, they represent, as Chesterton says, um, you know, the, the people, that they're men of the people, that they're the men of popular tradition. And so when the angel appears to them, to these cast-offs who are kind of unreliable and dishonest and may not be able of, to hold down a, you know, regular job or maybe they wander around the mountains on the weekends like Father Gregory. But the, the shepherds, the shepherds represent a kind of um, invitation to all people to come, that these lowly ones are the ones whom the Lord draws near to himself, that these uh, lowly cast-offs, these are the ones that the angel invites to come and worship Christ. So it's an incredible sign then uh, that we find them uh, paying homage to the Christ child in the manger. So I'm struck in this reading by the presence of all creation in the sense that you have the announcement of the birth in quick succession to shepherds, their sheep, by angels who have been let in on the secret. You know, the heavenly hosts are up to date. And then shortly thereafter, you have wise men who come from the east because the birth of this child has been announced by a star and it's present in their ancient texts and in their prophecies. And I think that um, this reminds me of when St. Thomas Aquinas talks about the passion of the Lord. He says it's important that both Jews and Gentiles are implicated because we who are responsible for his death by our sin thereby have a right to to the salvation which flows forth from his sacred wounds. So there's a sense in which like we're all implicated in the death so that we can all partake of the glory, so that we can all partake of the salvation. And I think that we get a little indication of what is to come and the universality of that offer here at the announcement of his birth or here, you know, at the nativity itself. So there's this strange dynamic at work in the life of our Lord that as he chooses to limit himself, so his limitations become a kind of privileged place of encounter for all peoples of all generations. So it's strange, you know, that the Lord chooses to become a man, a gendered male in the first century in Palestine, in the context of this, you know, covenant people. And it seems as if in so doing, he's chosen very, very unpropitious circumstances. You know, like we hear in the prologue to this particular gospel reading that you know, this is in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is very important. It has great sway. He could have been a great king, and therefore the proclamation would have gone out, you know, more expeditiously by many couriers and, you know, yada, yada, and thus and such, right? But our Lord chose this. But his limitation becomes thereby an opening for a universal salvation because in choosing his vocation, as it were, um, although we use vocation there analogically, um, he, he, kind of unleashes for us or uncovers for us infinite riches of the Godhead. And I think that this, you know, Christmas grace gives us cause for or reason for a reflection in our own lives, because I think sometimes we're afraid to choose or we're afraid to commit or we're afraid to limit ourselves for fear of what we're missing out on. But I think that the only way forward, the only way through is by making limited, contingent, particular choices, and then coming to discover as a result of which that the whole world opens before us. So, you know, when a man and a woman choose to get married, they choose just one other person and they cut off from their future possibilities, everyone else whom they will meet in future coming of ages. But as a result of that choice, as a result of that commitment, they can welcome new life into the world by, you know, the choice to welcome children in their marriage and things like that. So just one small indication of it here, simply we meditate on the fact that our Christ 
our Lord chose to become small. He chose to become mute. He chose to become poor. And in so doing, he makes us to be great. He makes us to be, you know, bearers of the word. He makes us to be rich and ennobled by his grace. And for that, we give great thanks. And perhaps just a brief kind of summary thought of what Father Patrick and Father Gregory have already said about this, about the gospel and about Christmas. And that's just looking at the way uh, that the action in the gospel passage is is conveyed to us by the evangelist, first with Mary and then the angels, and in a in a kind of repeated fashion. So we're told by the evangelist that Mary wraps the Christ child in swaddling clothes and lays him in a manger. And then it's interesting to note that the angels say that say the very same thing to the shepherds, to those every men, those people who stand in place of just like normal folks um, when they go to proclaim the birth of of Christ, that he they will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. This should indicate to us in some way that that all of heaven and earth in these moments is oriented to the one to one thing to the Christ child. That this that the that the scope the the sort of yeah the scope of of all of creation of all of time is is oriented is aimed at the Christ child, so too should we be oriented to the Christ child who, as Father Gregory said, is is the source of our grace is the source of our salvation not just for the the elect not just for a few as Father Patrick was saying but for all for each of us and 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 we're called into that life into that reality by both by both the heavens and the earth. All right. And with that, we complete our last Lexio Divina for this kind of end of the year segment. Uh, so we'll bring them back during Lent and Easter, but until such time, we'll resume our ordinary programming with uh, guest planning and with live planning on the Mondays and uh, on the Mondays and Fridays on which we normally do those things. Um, so Merry Christmas. Uh, it's been a great joy to share and to spend this year with you and then to celebrate this holy feast with you. Uh, it's a great gift for us um, to have this community, which has kind of grown up around the podcast. Please do know of our prayers for you. We mean that sincerely. We continue to offer the rosary, uh, each of us do each week, and to offer the Holy Mass for you and for your intentions. Uh, and we hope that this podcast is an opening to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who became incarnate in human flesh for our salvation. And that as a result of some of the things that you take from this podcast, you would be emboldened in your witness to that same Lord. Um, so yeah, those are the, those are the things and know that, um, yeah, know that we're very, very grateful for you and for your prayers as well. So let's go ahead and conclude, uh, this episode with a solemn blessing from the mass from the divinity of our Lord, uh, celebrated at night in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. May the God of infinite goodness, who by the incarnation of his Son has driven darkness from the world, and by that glorious birth has illumined this most holy night, drive far from you the darkness of vice, and illumine your hearts with the light of virtue. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, that's all from us. Until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.